I am a nobody, he, him. I have a name, Paul. And I grew up, for the most part, on a council estate in a working-class area of Sheffield called Firth Park, though some people call it Winkerbank. My mother was very protective of me, so protective, in fact, that I was not even allowed to get the TB jab at school. And to this day, I'm still not protected against TB. Despite everything I've achieved, the inner voice, more on that in future episodes, never fails to tell me that I'm useless. Everything I do is scrutinised and picked apart. I'm not unique in that, as a dyslexic nor as a working class guy. I hope these podcasts will help others to find hope in my coping mechanisms. I will talk about my personal history as a guide, but also in order to help me, and in particular my self-worth. Maybe I'll just talk to myself, maybe not. Whatever happens, I think it's helpful for my mental health, even if I'm just talking into this microphone. Welcome to episode one, the first trauma, my father is gay. At the age of five years old, my earliest memory, I was holding my mother's hand, I cannot remember which one, you should never ask a dyslexic that memory question. We were in a hospital A&E department and my father had broken my mother's finger. Why? Was he an abusive father? Were in a word he was suffering? A few years later, my mother told me that my father is gay. That did not mean anything to me at the time, but now it makes perfect sense. He was battling his inner emotions and wanted to be someone else, but he could not escape until later life. Only when my mother died did he have the freedom to live his life as he wanted. More on this lifestyle in later podcasts. So back to the finger. Since the visit to the A&E department, I was conscious of a dark cloud at home. It usually manifested itself as an argument my father would initiate and then he would start throwing things, shouting and often breaking something. Now as a dyslexic, I tend emotionally to see things in black and white. In later life, I would, and I can see the different shades of grey, but growing up in an isolated household with my mother as my only friend and my father as the unstable storm cloud moving in and causing chaos every three to four months, it created a feeling of constant dread. My inner voice would tell me, and still does, that happiness is only temporary and that something bad is going to happen. The worst times for these arguments were when they coincided with Christmas and New Year. If three to four months had passed without incident and Christmas was upon us, then I would have the feeling of dread that my father was going to kick off an argument. And he would. One such time was when my father was putting up the Christmas decorations. My mother and I would be decorating the fake tree and I would be trying to find any opportunity to eat the chocolate tree decorations. Some of you may remember them. We always had the cheap ones. They would taste not quite as good as Dairy Milk or Galaxy. Anyhow, he was putting up the ceiling gold and silver string. I always thought they were quite pretty. And then it would all kick off. He would just throw it at the floor or my mother, leave the living room, slam the door hard. I would feel from the pit of my stomach a great betrayal and Christmas would be ruined. If the childlike stomping started on the 28th of November, the date we always put up our Christmas tree decorations, then there was a chance Christmas would be saved. That one year it did pass without further incident. Another year Christmas passed pleasantly. 
I forgot that my world and my mother's health were for victim to the temper tantrums. And then came the argument on New Year's Eve. Now, my parents hardly ever had people round. I'll talk about that in future episodes. So it was just me, mum and dad. Truth be told, I always found that evening very boring. For I'd be tortured by Val Dienikin or some horrible soap opera. I felt very bored during huge parts of my childhood. But anyway, he kicked off and my mother and I went to my parents' bedroom. We stayed there for a few hours. I have a memory of balloons, but for the life of me, I do not know why. After I went back to school, I dreaded the usual two questions. The first one, what Christmas presents did you get? I lived in poverty, more on that in future episodes. The second, how was your Christmas? For if my father had kicked off, I would relive my father's actions. And I soon was able just to create a lie that's a fantasy that I lived in. I was powerless to change the three to four month cycle of arguments. So I went into myself, I spent hours wasting life watching TV, both wanting and hating my own company in equal measure. There are many memories of those arguments that my father would initiate. A cup would fly past my face, hit the wall. The cup, or in our case mug, would shatter, causing a prolonged moment where your stomach sinks. Another another time, a pack of uncooked bacon would fly to my mother's face, just missing her. Whatever the identifiable flying object, the result would always be the same, sulking for three to five days. I hate sulking. I hate the bottom lit syndrome. As a man, I'm not immune, but I try to stop myself acting like my father. Why? That sulking, not talking to me nor my mother, is a form of torture. And my husband used to do it too, and more on that in future episodes. The dyslexic part of me would see the world had come to an end when the bacon or cup had flown across the room. My mother, who was living with her disability that stopped her walking much, could not escape and I could see the effect it was having on her. I was powerless to help. I was a child. What could I do? My father would slap me hard and my mother would intervene. When I got to my teenage years, I became bigger and stood up to my father and the smacking stopped. I did not threaten him. Our relationship has taken a long time, however, to build up, and it is getting better. I never discussed it with him, but he has tried to do his best to get closer to me over recent years. Don't get me wrong, I'm not blaming him. I'm acknowledging that it happened. And here is a piece of advice for me. Early life experiences as a child affect you as a dyslexic adult. I am not an educational psychologist, so please take my own experience as guidance, not as fact. The effect is the black and white analysis that non-dyslexics often think of as in your face or too clinical. It is just something that is bad and something that is good. So what was my coping mechanism? In a word, fantasy. I lived in a dream world. I would be driving a car to freedom in one moment and then a politician in the next making a passionate speech. I would imagine myself in different circumstances. Sometimes I would pretend I lived in a different house, usually a friend's house. 
I can never quite remember the details, so I would just invent a crazy, unreal house that I lived in. That house was my sanctuary. One of my most favourite toys was a tree house. It looked like a Lilliputian tree. I would press the top of the tree down and a world would open up inside. It had a lift. I'd imagine myself there for hours on ends. As dyslexics, we are extremely creative thinkers and it's one of the advantages of being dyslexic. The other coping mechanism is appalling short-term memory. Dyslexics have trouble remembering things in our short-term memory processes. We all know that memory is not a reliable tool, memory phase, but conveniently for us, we can often forget what we had to eat for lunch the net yesterday. If you can imagine, or if you manage to dilute the severity of an incident through the lack of um, short-term memory in effect, then it can fade. So a piece of advice is try to not make it so memorable. Try to put it or compartmentalise it into a different space and it will fade because our memories are imperfect. Finally, there is hope. Hope is what makes us or allows us to see and reach for a better life. I've always had hope with bouts of despair and it was that hope that sustained me. Thank you for listening. In the next episode, I will talk about poverty in Sheffield in the 1980s and 90s and offer more on my coping mechanisms.